This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Well, as you know, I had a, a fantastic history with the, this amazing club. I, I was there with 18 years old. And of course, it's, I'm so happy to be back home after 12 years. So I'm really glad and looking forward to start uh, my first game. I think it's, it's um, the best decision that I have made it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's right on the point, in my opinion. Um, I moved from, from Juve now to, to Manchester. It's a new chapter that I am so happy and glad. And I want to carry on again uh, to make history, to try to help uh, Manchester to achieve great results, uh, to win trophies. And I'm one of, of them to help the team to, to win uh, great things. This is On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Cristiano Ronaldo's first official interview since rejoining Manchester United. Hey, thanks for joining me, Ross. It's our first international break of the brand new season and the guys are just raring to talk international football. I can tell. I can tell. Uh, The guys are Craig Marias. What's up, Craig? Hello, hello. Lovely to see uh, Cristiano Ronaldo back in a red shirt. He's got seven as well. Oh, super exciting. And I'm not talking about Portugal either. (laughs) (laughs) Bob Holmes is also here. Hello, Bob. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Are you as excited about Ronaldo as as everyone is? Uh, No, I don't think uh, City fans are too excited about Ronaldo, are they? (laughs) Um, Or Liverpool fans or Chelsea fans. But I am pleased um, he's back in the Premier League, yes. Uh, I mean, it's going to add something, isn't it? It's going to add some magic, no question about that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out. Brilliant. Des Corkill is also here. I know Des is over the moon, aren't you, Des? I'm sure this is the international edition, not the Man United fan club, isn't it? Um, uh, let's talk about Ronaldo's two towering headers. I'm sure we will. Wow, what centre-forward goals they are. He's arguably the greatest of all time. If, if you look at the um, running order sheet that I provided, Des, uh, we do talk about that later. <laughs> First, we relive transfer deadline day um of course if you want to get in touch with us follow us on social media it's bfm football on instagram and on facebook as well but um yeah transfer deadline day so cristiano ronaldo in fact he was the second deal done let's move on from there i mean he joins what on 12 million 12.85 million he's 36 two-year deal with with a chance of another and we're going to talk about his record-breaking exploits at international levels soon but Leaving Man United on transfer deadline day, Craig Marias, was Daniel James. He's gone to Leeds for £25 million. I think it's good business all around, that one. Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't think he was ever going to be a first eleven player for Man United. Um, he does have qualities. Um, you know, he's he's got this fantastic pace, which uh, I don't think many defenders can live with. Uh, he presses well uh, because of that pace, uh, closes down the spaces. So... Um, from a tactical point of view, um, you know, he, he is manager's dreams and you can see why Ole plays him in certain games and uh, he does have that kind of value to the team. But on the other side of things, you know, the, the end product, um, the, the football IQ, it's just not really there um, and enough to be a Man United player, uh, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, Bielsa has been a big fan of him, you know, uh, just before he joined Man United, I think it was six months earlier, 
Uh, they were very close to getting him. I mean, it was pretty much a done deal. He signed everything. Yeah, and he had the 21 shirt Robert. there as well. Yeah, and it was just a matter of a Swansea kind of um, confirming the deal on, the, on their end. And, and that didn't happen. And it passed the transfer deadline. And um, six months later, he's a Man United player. So Leeds finally get the man. Um, I think United, United make a good, nice profit on him as well. Uh, it's a good deal. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he fits that system and where he plays because Jack Harrison, you know, had a pretty good season last season. Rafinha is arguably uh, one of their best players. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how Bielsa kind of brings him into that first 11 side and and how he accommodates him in the squad. But I think, like you said, Ross, you know, for both parties, it's, uh, it was a good move. Yeah. All right. Just to wrap up Manchester United transfer stuff, apparently Anthony Martial turned down a chance to join Lyon. Uh, Donny van der Beek was not allowed to join Everton on loan. And Man United had an £18 million bid for Kieran Trippier, knocked back by Atletico Madrid. Uh, we move on to West Ham United, who did some good business, Bob Holmes. They brought in Nikola Vlasic from CSKA Moscow and Spartak's Alex Kral, Czech player, uh, season's loan. Um, both midfielders, one one more attacking, really. But David Moyes type of signing because they're they're Middle Eastern, well, Europeans, but but you know what I mean, the hardworking ones. Yeah, uh, Eastern Europeans. I Eastern Europeans, right Europe. Middle Eastern. <laughs> Um, exactly, David Moyes uh, types. They uh, under understated, hardworking grafters uh, rather than spectacular players but good solid signings and it's uh, it's good to see West Ham trying to build on what they did last year a lot of people thought it was a, a sort of they were one season wonders but I think by these signings it suggests that they're there to well they're going to try to stay up there thereabouts and uh, it's good that the owners have actually coughed up the money because they've been uh, rather skinflint at times. Um, but I think they're backing Moyes. They've seen what he's done. You can't really argue. He saved them from relegation once, didn't get all that much credit for it, left, came back with low expectations. And look what he did last season. It was a transformation. I mean, they were, they were some people's relegation candidates, West Ham at the start of last season. And instead of that, I mean, they were actually top of the league, weren't they? Uh, very briefly uh, towards the end of the season. So uh, very, very good signings. Uh, Vlasic um, was, uh, was signed before uh, by uh, Chelsea, Everton. I think it was. Everton, Everton. Everton. And it didn't, it didn't quite work out. He was, he was a teenager then. And there were, sort of extenuating circumstances. Um, but there's talent there. And he, he went back home and um, sorted himself out. And I think he's, I think he's a good buy. But mm. I do think they could have done with a striker, another striker. Yeah. Because Antonio, Antonio's hamstrings, um, whether the real ones are on the cardboard cutout, um, <laughs> are likely to snap at any time. And I think they are a bit dependent on him. They are, but uh, they have strengthened at the back as well. Kurt Zuma joined from Chelsea. So all around pretty good business. Do you expect a good season for, for West Ham, Des? Do you reckon they could make Europa again? Well, I think with these signings, very much so. So they surprised everyone, particularly me, uh, last year um, by how they 
stayed the course right the way through. And all three of these signings strengthen them. I think Zuma's a terrific player. Um, there was a little bit of haggling over his money, which is, is into the finance of football once again. But now he's decided he adds to them immensely, I think, defensively. Vlasic is a, is a, a terrific, versatile player. Kral, a, a, a regular um, middle-of-the-park support for Declan Rice, who is going to stay for another season. So, wow, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think you've got to take them seriously. Villa and West Ham have done magnificent work and yeah. United, to be fair, in, in the transfer window. So, yeah, very good for them. And Chelsea. Uh, it's only Liverpool <laughs> who didn't do anything. Matt Phillips on a four-year deal. What are you talking about? And the re-signing of all, all the stars and the coming to fitness. But uh, it is, there's, been, there's been a lot of aggro in, uh, in, on Twitter about Liverpool not signing a big name. Ah, what do fans know? Um, Chelsea. Also did good business. Craig, Chelsea uh, beat Man United. Did a signing of Sal Niguez, the Atletico Madrid midfielder. Apparently he's joined on loan. United were very much after him as well, weren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah Sal, Sal's, a, a, I think, a player that United have been tracking for a while, to be fair. He's, he's been linked with us before. Um, very talented player uh, in the middle of the park, but kind of lost his way in the last few years. Um, you know, you know, you go back, you know, three, three, four years, and you know, he was one of the key players uh, for Diego Simeone, and um, kind of lost that trust in him uh, for some reason. And you know, just reading his comments after he joined Chelsea, it, it was more of a case of he didn't want to be that holding player anymore. You know, he wanted to be able to have that license to bomb forward, uh, which was interesting to read because at United that we were after someone that would hold. So. Um, yeah, in the end, I'm not sure if United actually did go in for him again. Um, but, you know, even if we did, I don't think it, it was for the right kind of player that we were after, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, but, you know, I mean, you, you look at that Chelsea squad now and you're just thinking, geez, I mean, it's just strength in all areas, really. Um, and I, I think while, while they'll be happy with, with signing Sal, I think they'll be a little bit gutted they didn't sign Kunde from, um, from Sevilla. Because they let Zuma go, I think, with the intention of of getting him. And, um, you know, Severe, to, to to their credit, you know, stuck by the guns and said, look, you're only going to get him if you pay his release clause, which was 70 over a million or something like that. So, um, yeah, that, that was very interesting for me. So I think it leaves them a little bit light um, in that area. I mean, I know they've got Thiago Silva, they've got Chaloba. Um, but um, if you're talking about a weak point in that Chelsea side, I think it'll be uh, their back line. Yeah, Zuma's gone. Ethan Ampadu joined Venezia as well, um, Serie A side. So, yeah, I'm reading that Jules Kunde apparently is throwing his toys out of the pram at Sevilla. He is disgusted yeah. that he yeah. was not allowed to leave. Uh, let's let's move on to Arsenal. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to giggle. I'm... So, Bob, Arsenal have signed Japanese defender Takehiro Tomiyasu from Bologna. He, um, right back Hector Bellerin has left. He's joined Real Betis on loan. Um, you, you, you write about football worldwide. What do you know about Tommy Yasu, Bob? Not a lot, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, I did, I did write actually before they even signed him, um, that, uh, Arsenal used to shop at Harrods and now shopping at Daiso. <laughs> and so I, I don't know whether that was um, being prescient or, or just a bit of luck, but they've signed a Japanese player for a, a, a reasonable fee. Um, no disrespect to him, but they've let 
Bellerin go, Hector Bellerin, who I I've always rated very highly, a very very quick and dynamic uh, fullback, and and uh, Tommy Asu is going to take his place, slot straight into his position. Um, okay, he is six or seven years younger than Bellerin, and I think this is what. Uh, Mikel Arteta is trying to do this. He's signing all 22-year-olds. If you if you notice the ages of these guys, Ramsdale, Odegaard, um, and Ben White. Yeah, um, I mean there are there are okay players, but they're not getting Arsenal fans very excited. Mm. And this is the thing: it's as if they're accepting that they're no longer. Uh, part of the big six somehow, they've actually spent more money than anybody else in this window. You might think that's ridiculous with the city having spent a hundred million on one player, but they've spent, Arsenal has spent 169 million. And Arsenal fans look down the list, six or seven names there, two or three of whom they've probably never heard of. And they're thinking, what have we got for this? But I think it's part of a long-term strategy to get young players in Arteta to get his own men in because he's not handling the big egos there he's got rid of a few but there's still a few more to go and I think this is the problem it's off the field I think it's the personalities the dressing room he's lost the dressing room he wants to replace them with the um, with the younger guys who will look to him having you know they'll be his players he he wanted them he signed them but whether he lasts long enough to see yeah. the fruition of all this is another matter. Exactly. That, that's, that's a heck of a big process there that Bob's just <laughs> described. Uh, but no ballerine, no problem, Des Corkill, because I, I'm reading that Serge Aurier, released by Tottenham by mutual consent a year early, <laughs> might, might, might pitch up at, at um, the Emirates. Now, that would be... Well, they'll deserve it if they sign Serge Aurier, won't they? I think that might be Tottenham fans just lowering in the fun that they're top of the league and Arsenal are bottom of the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> because uh, I've seen some great memes, people looking with their newspapers upside down, go, oh, top, Arsenal, top of the league. Oops, there we go again. <laughs> it's, been, it's been quite cruel. Um, Bob, Bob said, right, uh, Arsenal look like they're going for a full redesign, so the board have clearly backed him. And if they were to sack him, what you're going to have is a, a new coach coming in at, at, at Arsenal who has got a bunch of young players who he didn't sign mm. who will probably lose their value. So it's a big gamble. So I think Arsenal have got to back Mikel Arteta now, even if they, they finish lower down than last year's uh, eighth or ninth, uh, whatever it was. It was eighth, I think, in the end. So I think they've got to back him. But the contrast with Tottenham is phenomenal because Tottenham have done great business. Uh, I think they've improved in every situation, and they've signed. Uh, they, they've re-signed Harry Kane, who looks like, even if he's half the Harry Kane, he's he's a, a terrific player for them to have. So t- grim times for the Gunners. Quite amusing. Grim times indeed. All right. Elsewhere, <laughs> Odson Edward has joined Crystal Palace for fourteen million pounds from from uh, Celtic. I actually watched the Old Firm derby last weekend. He did nothing, yeah. Edward. Maybe what about that miss, Ross? Yeah, exactly. Maybe oh, his mind, God. I'm thinking, was on the move. Solomon yeah. Rondon, familiar name. Uh, he's re-teamed up with uh, Rafa Benitez at Everton. He's joined from Chinese Super League site Dalian Pro. Uh, Newcastle have signed Santiago Munoz 
very close to <laughs> Santiago Munez of the goal movie fame. But uh, yeah, as we go into the break, we, we need to have a word about Barcelona. Uh, they've literally rewritten the book on, on how not to do transfers. Uh, I believe they have sent Antoine Griezmann back to Atletico Madrid on loan. And, and there's an option to buy for 40 million. Of course, uh, they, they Atletico sold him for 120 million. So, so great, good business all around, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't even get me started on Barcelona. <laughs> I mean, what about the right back that they sold to Spurs? They signed him 30 days before that. They signed him 30 days before, put uh, over 100 million release clause in his contract. I sold him for 30 million, like less than a month later. Absolute ridiculous. I mean, it, it's laughable, really. It, it really is. And um, I mean, it's just a shame to see how far this club has fallen. Um, you know, I mean, they still got some good plays there. Don't get me wrong. But I mean, the way they have to kind of manage this situation and uh, Laporta obviously is, he can't do much about it, really. You know, he's been given that situation and he has to do the best of it. But, I mean, you know, some of their signings, obviously, Braithwaite last year. Uh, they signed De Jong as well from, from mm-hmm. Sevilla, didn't they? Um, so, so it's becoming a, a, a very Dutch uh, Dutch kind of squad over there uh, with Koeman. But, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm definitely keeping tabs on them this season and just seeing how well uh, they actually do because they're Barcelona. So a lot's expected of them. And uh, I read yesterday, uh, the only way Koeman keeps his job is if he wins the title. So there you go. What about that as a challenge for a manager? More than the club. Can I, uh, can I just come in there um, on Barcelona? Okay, can, uh, can, I, can I put you on hold, Bob? Can I put you yeah. on hold and say sure. that you're going to say talk about Barcelona right after this break? Mason Mount has scored. A speculative hit from a fair way out. But Chelsea now from a fair way out have a view perhaps of something profitable. On the ball on BFM 89.9. She's in again, and this could be seven. History made. Jack Grealish scores goal six and seven. On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we are back. International break. Uh, first one of the season. Craig Marias, Des Corkill, and Bob Holmes here. Just to wrap up uh, our transfer deadline day chat, we were talking about Barcelona and how they don't know how to do business. <laughs> and Bob, you were going to give us your two cents worth. Yeah, uh, it's almost a dummy's guide on how not to run a football club, doesn't it? Isn't it? Uh, I remember at the um, World Football Summit in KL a couple of years ago, I met an official from Barcelona. I won't say who, who it was. I'll spare his blushes. But he was a very nice guy. And at the end of the interview, I said... How are you going to compete with the nation states and the likes of, and the oligarchs? And his words were, we are just going to have to continue to be smarter than everyone else. <laughs> yep. I've still got it. I've not erased it from my tape recorder. Um, if that is being smart... Uh, this was two years ago. I think the slide had already started. They'd signed Griezmann by then, yeah. I think. And they certainly signed Dembele yeah. and Coutinho. But Griezmann, I think that, I mean, if Atletico had plotted this, I mean, this could be a new concept in football. You know, you 
you sell a player, a decent player, to an opponent with the idea that he's going to upset their their game plan, <laughs> ruin them, send them to bankruptcy, and then you get him back for for peanuts, and you and you, you turn him into a decent player again. I do, mean, do this is what they've done. Do you reckon Barca have inserted a class going, Laura Atletico, if you win the league, you're going to have to give us a bit more money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he, if he does any good, they might want him back, you know? <laughs> you're going to have to extend this show because I've got to have my take on Barcelona. Listen, they're a billion dollars in debt. And yeah. so this is the very, very good way for them to actually go about their business. They're reducing their debt. They, they are investing in younger players. Luke de Jong, we were talking about him. OK, he's not the Barcelona celebrity signing that we're used to, but he's a more than capable striker who will lead with experience uh, the, the youthful players around them. They've got Aguero in there as well. This is now Koeman's team. And if he doesn't win the league, OK, he knows, he knows what the deal is, but this is his team now. And what he's done is reduced the, de the debt, which to me seems eminently sensible. I was whinging about them, whinging. I was apoplectic that they were a billion dollars in debt. How can a football go like that? Laporta's come in. He won the election in March and he's trying to turn that ship around. For once, I'm sympathetic to Barcelona and hope that they actually um, do prove that money isn't everything and uh, you can actually subsidize your way to success. <laughs> so they're finally being smart then, Des. They're finally being business sensible. They're finally well, being... they've got no choice to this. Yeah, they, they've Precisely got no choice. And and yeah, them for for uh, be, for for being business sensible. I just don't get that. All right, all eyes on Barcelona this season, no doubt. Okay, uh, World Cup qualifiers. Let, let's talk about a few of them. Uh, Group A saw Portugal defeat the Republic of Ireland two one. Cristiano Ronaldo is now two places ahead of the late, great Mokhtar Dahari in the all-time top goal scorers chart. Uh, he, he moves in front of Ali Dai with, with a brace. He could even afford, Craig, a penalty miss against the Republic. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think a few, like Des might bring up, um, might say that he's lucky to stay on the pitch um, after... After a uh, slap. Yeah, I, I don't know if we call it a slap, but a little push in the face, shall we say, um, on Daro's year. But um, yeah, you know, when, when, he, when he missed that penalty, obviously it was, uh, I think it was a young, a young guy in goal for the Irish, actually. Um, so so what, what, a, what a way to kind of introduce yourself on the, on the international stage. Um, and it was a really great save. Um, but then, you know, it's all about the man and the character uh, in Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think Des mentioned it at the start of the show. I mean, those two headers, wow. Uh, I mean, it's that, it's that slight bit of movement that, that he has, you know. And, and the ability and, to hang in the air as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he didn't have to really hang too much, to be fair, uh, for, for these headers. I mean, we, we've obviously seen him leap like a salmon, like uh, many a time over the years. But, I mean, this, this was just about centre-forward. And I think there's, you know, hit the nail on the head at the start. You know, it's, it's centre-forward play. It's, it's good movement. And when you have good movement, you know, it, it always seems that the ball, you know, is attracted to you and the ball just comes to you. Um, and, and, you know, great players, you know, in the box players have it. I mean, Ruth Van Nistelrooy had it. You know, he's always at the right place at the right time, you know. And, you know, it wasn't by coincidence. It was, you know, that, that little bit of movement that takes you a step or two away from the defender. Um, you know, it, it was just sensational. When you got the equaliser, you know, you thought it was good. And then, you know, in injury time to go and get the winner, 
um, and then cheekily, purposely get a yellow card in your celebrations too, so that you can head to Manchester a little bit earlier. I mean, Total it, pro. Just, Total it was just a pro. perfect. It was just a perfect night, really. 111 goals now, Bob. All-time leading scorer, two ahead of Ali Dai. Um, yeah, he, I, I understand he's even got the number seven shirt back at United. The guy can do no wrong. Uh, share prices gone up. I mean, what else? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, incredible, incredible effect he's had. I mean, he broke the internet, didn't he? Just about. Um, United added a million Instagram followers. And I think Ed Woodward is trying to get that included in the league tables alongside the goals for and against, you know, it, it seems, seems, seems to legit, matter. Bob, come on, seems legit. Yeah, it does seem to matter a great deal to him. I mean, Pogba, I think the reason, one of the reasons he's stayed is because he's, he's got such a big following. Um, but uh, no, Ronaldo, I mean, just in case anybody thinks that half of them have been penalties, uh, not at all. Uh, he's only scored 14 penalties out of uh, 111 goals. So that's uh, it's just just over 10%, isn't it? Um, my maths are not very good. Um, and I looked this up, of course. Uh, nine free kicks. Um, most of his goals are from inside the box, which, which is not a great surprise. But um, the way he's transformed himself from that uh, dazzling winger uh, when he joined United. No one could have envisaged him uh, being a, a centre forward who was powerful in the air uh, at this, age, this stage in his career. You could see him making the top, absolutely, and he had star quality written all over him, but not in the way he's done it. I mean, he's... he's uh, transformed himself and he's done this in the gym and and uh in his lifestyle and you know he does deserve all the all the credit for it, it, it it's quite incredible and i think he, you know he's quite confident of still being at the top level when he's 40 mm. and after seeing this you you wouldn't bet against it i mean he there were periods when he didn't do much you didn't hear his name mentioned a bit like pogba but then to pop up at the, at the end like that, at the death, and turn around, what would have been a, a pretty uh, shocking defeat uh, to, it, to a victory and break the record in the process was absolutely incredible. So, yeah, give him, yeah. Give him uh, 11 out of 10 for that. Poor old Republic of Ireland. Uh, Stephen Kenny ha has not got a point yet. Uh, they are bottom of the group after three matches played. Uh, not too bright for Scotland either. Des Corkill, they, uh, in Group F, they, they went to Copenhagen and lost 2-0 to Denmark. Denmark seemed to be playing different level football. I watched highlights of this one. Denmark came out of the traps flying and Scotland just had to kind of put up Hadrian's wall, which wasn't very strong. No, it wasn't very strong. 15 minutes in, Hadrian's all had been blown down. Uh, but after that, Scotland improved, to be fair. Billy Gilmore had um, a couple of long-range efforts. What, what do you think were... about Andy Robertson playing right back? Uh, I, it, you somehow want to get your Tierney and Robertson in. Um, I, I, thought, I thought they'd gone for the experiment of playing Tierney as a, a left-sided uh, central defender and Robertson outside of him. But Robertson wasn't at fault. He's clearly a left-footed player playing on the yeah. right-hand side, but that happens all the time. Uh, Mahler's exactly the same for Denmark. He's a right-footed yeah. player playing on the left-hand side. So I don't think there's too much wrong with that. And the goals themselves came either from the right-hand side or through the centre. So um, 
That, that, that's an easy thing to, 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 to criticise. But you can't go 2-0 down inside 15 minutes. You knew you were going to get um, ambushed by the, the Danes. They're a good side. Poulsen leads the line well. Damsgaard is, is, is full of confidence. They, they drive through Marley and Daniel Vass down the right-hand side. They made the semi-finals of the European Championships, yeah. for heaven's sake. So we shouldn't be uh, too surprised at how good they were. But Scotland were just caught cold. And you, you can't give, you can't give a, an early goal up. Well, you can, actually, as we'll see later. But yeah. you can't give two goals up um, and expect to get, get a point. But Scotland did OK. But this is Scotland. We shouldn't expect too much of them. I know Craig Wilkie's not here, but this is Scotland. We shouldn't expect that much of them. All right. Well, Denmark are away uh, against Faroe Islands on Sunday. Israel against Austria. Scotland in a must-win at home against Moldova. That's uh, Sunday night. We're off for another break. Sorry, Bob. Quick word. Yeah. Um, in case people are wondering, Christian Eriksson. I looked it up because I didn't watch much of these highlights, so uh, I did my research. Christian Eriksson is not likely to play again for a while. He's got an implanted defibrillator, and the Italian medical service won't allow him to even train at this point. I mean, he's all right. He's around. He's walking about, and he's still optimistic, but you won't see him in a in a proper shirt for a while but they hope and he certainly hopes to eventually get this thing taken out and then be able to play just in case anybody was wondering all right more world cup qualifiers coming up for you right after this well, you have to have real confidence to deceive the goalkeeper like that this is completely completely fools edison who's just not expecting Vardy to go with that kind of cheek. On the ball on BFM 89.9. 11 would-be champions beaten by 10 heroes from Leeds. Remarkable. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us. Craig Marias, Des Corkill and Bob Holmes joining me on this first international break of the brand new season. We're looking at World Cup qualifiers. In Group D, France were held to a 1-1 draw by Bosnia. Antoine Griezmann, Atletico Madrid's new man, Bob, <laughs> scored, <laughs> scored his 39th goal for France. He still got it. I mean, you, you look to him and, and you look at his stats. Wherever he goes, he gets goals, doesn't he? Well, he doesn't at the Camp Nou, does he? Uh, well, not <laughs> enough. Not enough for their liking anyway. Um, oh, no, he's a good player. I remember United were after him, weren't they? Um, pursued him uh, for most of a season, a couple of, couple of years back, before Barcelona came in. Uh, it just didn't work. It's one of those... Um, I mean, you you can argue with hindsight. You can argue that he didn't fit the style, and Messi didn't rate him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he's he's a good player. He's a very good player. It didn't quite work. He didn't quite fit in. I mean, he ran his socks off. I don't think they they can fault him for effort, but somehow it just didn't work. The same with Dembele. The same with Coutinho. Here we are talking about Barcelona again. You can't, you can't help it, can you? We're supposed to be talking about France and Bosnia, and here we are. Apologies for that. But uh, you asked me about Griezmann. Yeah, I mean, he, um, he's, he's a World Cup winner, isn't he? Um, what more can you say? So uh, I think, I think it'll, uh, I think he's, he's probably going to win the title for Atletico uh, 
this season, actually. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. But this, this was a bit of, I mean, but I don't think France are going to be too perturbed by this um, result because they, they've got a four-point cushion on Ukraine in this group now. So no danger. Bosnia has uh, I've only got two points, uh, got virtually no chance of qualifying. So um, no sleep will be lost over this result. Yeah, they, France played with 10 men. Jules Koundé, still angry with Sevilla, got sent <laughs> off in the game. Edin Dzeko gave Bosnia the lead. Um, yeah, good good player still. And um, France are in action on um, Sunday. They're away against the Ukraine. Finland against Kazakhstan. Uh, that is your Group D match. There's, we, we look at England now. They went to Hungary and not only took on the Magyars, they also took on a very hostile uh, crowd in Budapest. There was racial abuse. There were there were drinks thrown at um, um, Sterling and co. And I mean, England won the game 4-0. Uh, but uh, yeah, comments, Des. England dealt with everything very well. I thought it was a very good team performance, professional. Um, he's clearly got his favourite starting lineup. Uh, uh, Craig, I know, has always been a big fan of Mason Mount. I've been less, uh, a lot more sceptical, but I'm being proved wrong on Mason Mount. He's one heck of a player. And he got things going with the setting up for um, uh, Raheem Sterling to score the goal. Kane's goal was a terrific header yeah. in at the near post yeah. from Sterling. And then the last two, uh, Galachi might have done better, both with the Maguire header and certainly with the Declan Rice goal. But England, they scored four. It could have been more. They played really well. They looked to me like a team who took immense amount of confidence from what they did at the Euros. They look comfortable playing with each other. They are Phillips and Rice look like uh, they'll need some displacing. Jordan Henderson's got a big job to do to get back in the heart of that first choice midfield. I just thought England were very good because Hungary, as you quite rightly said, it's a hostile crowd. That's exactly what we wanted. We just wanted the uh, the hostility to be a, um, a little bit more sporting, not shall, we say, uh, shall yes. we say. But it's a hostile crowd that England have gone into that hostile area and come away with a, a performance and put two fingers up to the crowd and uh, a five-star performance all around. I thought it was really, really strong. A credit, really, to, to Gareth Southgate, Craig, how well he's done with this. He keeps the motivation high. I mean, Grealish looks so eager to please when, when he's in the when he's in the team. And yeah, I mean, you, you can say a, a few years ago, maybe a draw away at Hungary would not have been a bad result. Now you almost expect an England win. Um, no, I don't think I'd say that. <laughs> you know, if England, you know, even a few years ago, if they were to go to Hungary, I think we'd all be expecting to sit here and talk about an England win. Um, I, I don't think that's changed. But what has changed is you know, I think the fans' perceptions towards this England side, I think, you know, where I think there was a bit of um, kind of separation or uh, between the fans and and the players and the team, you know, I think that's come together now quite a bit. And like they said, you know, the confidence that they've taken, not only from the Euros, but from the World Cup as well. Um, I, I think this is this has been coming, you know, it's that process that, you know, that we talk about and um, that, that has is slowly coming together and um yeah maybe you know we really should have done better at the final hurdle um you know a couple couple weeks ago actually i mean was it eight weeks ago whatever it is um but that didn't happen and and now it's all about focusing on the next major which is which is obviously the world cup um uh, you know just going back in the and the way gareth southgate has managed his team i think a lot was made of in the players that he left out 
during the Euros. You know, Jack Davis mm. didn't feature as much as some people would like. Sancho, uh, Rashford. You know, there was a lot that was made out of it. But, I mean, you're not going to please everyone. And unlike the fact that Gareth Southgate stuck to his guns, he didn't get influenced by the media, didn't get influenced by pundits. Uh, I think everyone was screaming Jack Grealish at the start of the competition. Um, but, you know, he stuck to his guns. And, and yeah, OK, maybe he didn't get it over the line as, as we should have. But um, I, I think in general, you know, the way he's managed it, it has been exemplary, really. Um, and, and you could see during this match, you know, you could see there was a briefing about what was going to happen. Um, you know, the players had been told, you know, expect this, don't retaliate, don't do this, don't do that. And the way they approached it, I think when Sterling scored, he takes off his T-shirt, there's a message there. And, you know, they're throwing cups at him and all sorts. But the way, you know, he knew, he knew he was expecting that. You know, he took it and Harry Kane comes over. Then Declan Rice, after his goal, mm. picks, up a, uh, picks up a cup and starts drinking it, almost, you know, taking the piss taking the piss out of them. Um, I think there was another one where Jude Bellingham was getting abuse as he was running down, you know, just you know, clapped to the crowd and started smiling. I mean, the way the players handled the whole occasion, I think was was really good, you know, and, and you, you go a few years back and we see, you know, someone like, I think it was Wayne Rooney that was signaling to the crowd and, and kind of biting almost um, to, to the abuse that he was getting. So um, I think this England team has come a long way, not only on the field, but you know, the way they're carrying themselves off it as well. A reflection of, of how cool Gareth Sarkate actually is. Um, yeah, England are cruising qualification in Group I. Uh, four wins out of four, 12 points. Poland are second on seven. They've got Andorra this weekend on Sunday or Monday morning, Bob. And they should fill their boots, shouldn't they? It should just go along nicely. Yeah, well, Andorra. Yeah, um, as uh, as listeners will well know, we um, we uh, have different views on uh, whether these uh, these teams should be allowed to play in these groups. And my personal opinion is that they should be in a a qualifier before they get to this stage. And that's what the Nations League uh, does. It, it separates them, but you still have that path to the top. And I don't think that uh, filling your boots against Andorra to qualify for a World Cup, or not that England need to, but it can happen under the present structure. And it does uh, no just good for Andorra you, as no, well, does it? I mean, if you, if you score 10 or 11 and then your rival only manages eight or nine and you go through on goal difference, it makes a mockery of it. That's the reason I'm so against it. I'm all for the young, uh, for the smaller countries to have a chance but um, England I just like to say that the players and management have handled this a lot better than the than football's governing bodies I mean the fact that Hungary and that stadium they're actually banned by UEFA fans are banned by UEFA but because this is under the jurisdiction of FIFA being a World Cup qualifier, fans were allowed and we saw the result. Now, it just, it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, they should not have been allowed for, for what they did uh, during the uh, Euros. I mean, it was, uh, they, they got banned, I think, a three-game ban. Fans were banned for three games. And, and then the next game, just because it's under another authority, they're allowed in. So, I mean, what is the point of the ban? This, and we're still talking about this in 2021. And it, it was very hostile. 
it was uh, not everybody, but it was a lot of people. And the, and the players went and applauded. The Hungarian players had the audacity to go and applaud these fans at the end of the game. Mm. I mean, what is going on here? You mm. know, really? So England, yes, I, yeah. England handled it superbly. I, I wonder if FIFA are going to do anything because everyone's writing about it. I'm reading it everywhere. Um, elsewhere in Group I, Albania take on Hungary. San Marino play Poland all uh, on Monday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning. We're going for our final break. We come back, we talk about the European champions. And City now storm into a position which may very well be impregnable. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Oh, it's brilliant. Alassane Maxima. That is absolutely superb. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hey, thanks for sticking with us, Craig, Des and Bob here. First international break of the new season. Uh, Italy and Group C of the World Cup qualifiers. They drew 1-1 with Bulgaria in Florence. The point did extend Italy's unbeaten run to 35 games. They've now equaled Spain's old European record. Uh, Federico Chiesa put Italy in the lead, but then Iliev, who plays for Ascoli in Serie B, equalised for Bulgaria. A, a bit of a comeback down to earth for the European champions, Des Corkill. Italy in crisis. They haven't won for three games now. They drew their last two matches against Spain and England in the Euros. (laughs) 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 And Chini out. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's rubbish. (laughs) So they they were a little bit unfortunate. But here you go. Here's a question for Bob. Bulgaria ranked number 75 in the world. Should they be allowed on the same football pitch as Italy? How low do you go before you say teams should not be allowed? That's a a rhetorical question for now. Um, Italy, very good. You know what? This Florence stadium, I don't know why Italy play in Florence. We just talked about the hostility, bad though it can be, at Hungary and the advantage it can give. But the stadium at Florence just does not give... Uh, a good vibe or a good atmosphere. The the goals are miles away from the from the fans. I've I've never really understood why why Italy um, don't use better stadia for their home games. Not that it makes a huge difference. They were a bit unfortunate. Um, they, they they got the lead. A terrific goal from Chiesa. Uh, pulled back just before half time. Had the chances to win it. Again, I, I don't think they'll be super. Um, supremely worried because they, as we saw in the Euros, they've got such a, a strong team and they've got uh, points in hand in the um, in the group. Switzerland have got games in hand, but Northern Ireland, Bulgaria and Lithuania shouldn't prove to be too problematic. But um, tell you what, this could be uh, uh, where Mancini does get tested because he's going to have to get rid of Kalini. Kalini can't go on forever. He's going to have to get rid of Bonucci. And so that back line, his spine... Oh, he introduced the Serbi for this for this game. That backline might need a bit of revamping, but um, great point for Bulgaria. Well done for the little guys. Yeah, I'm, I mean Italy are top of the table. They've played four matches. They've got ten points, but Switzerland in second. Craig, they're going to be looking at this. Go, you know, if we win our two games in hand, that's six more points. We'll be two points ahead of Italy. And remember, only the top of the table qualifies for the World Cup, right? Yeah, um, no, no doubt they, they'll be looking at this and saying we've got a great chance here to do it. 
I mean, going out there and, and getting those wins is, is a different uh, thing altogether. But I mean, I think what Italy have done here is, is definitely giving them a sniff of a chance, uh, which we didn't really expect. I mean, I, I think this is a, a very much a surprise result. Um, you know, if you talk about upsets, I don't think they're, they're real upsets um, there, but you look at the France result, you look at this result, and well, they didn't get three points, which mm. is what you expect. Um, so yeah, um, I think this is this is a big, big, um, huge blow for Italy and their chances. Uh, but Switzerland are a decent side. Let's not forget, you know, they they they're, they're not. I mean, they are a small country, but you know, they've got some very talented players there. So um, yeah, they'll, they'll be looking at this and and licking their lips. And now. They know they have to go out there and get, get two wins out of two and, and they'll be top of the table. So, um, yeah, I think this really plays into the Swiss hands. Saturday night, Sunday morning, Bulgaria against Lithuania and Switzerland against Italy. Bob, um, no granite Zaka because apparently he didn't want to be vaccinated. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. He, he caught something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good game, this one. If, if the Swiss win, then maybe Mancini out, huh? Hashtag. <laughs> I know uh, Switzerland are a are a big team. I mean, they've they've been around. We always talk about them in the World Cups, the, uh, the Euros. Uh, of course, they've never won anything, but they are always there or thereabouts. Usually, a, a tough team to break down. But they've um, more uh, recently they've been scoring goals, and we saw in the epic. Um, quarterfinal, wasn't it, with uh, with France in the Euros? I mean, what a game that was. Um, we saw what they can do and their spirit, their fighting spirit. I mean, that was one of the great comebacks that they were two goals down and, um, and came back and they ended up winning on penalties. Um, so they won't be taken lightly. And this, um, this draw with Bulgaria, um, it might have been what Italy needed to take Switzerland more seriously, I think, because they know they're having dropped two points and with Italy, uh, Switzerland having a 100% record, they know that this is not um, a, a cruise to qualification by any means. Any slip up against Switzerland, even a draw, would yeah. uh, actually leave Switzerland with the advantage. Yeah. I mean, it's a long way to go yet. I, I mean, personally, I think... I think Italy will handle it okay because they do tend to come good when it really matters. But th this will be an awkward uh, game for Mancini. No, make no mistake about that. And perhaps the, the euphoria of winning the Euros has um, affected them slightly, whereas England, obviously, not by not winning it, it kind of galvanised them a bit more. Perhaps uh, that's that's been a factor. But I would still say Italy to, to take this one. Chelsea, right, Italy? Win the Euros. <laughs> in, in, in Group J, Hansi Flick took charge of his first game uh, in charge of Germany, uh, replacing Jurgi Löw, and they won just 2-0 against Minos, Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein making a mockery of what Bob said there, no Minos. Hey, Des, hey, hey. Yeah. Uh. Provocative question to put to me. Little Liechtenstein uh, held on for 40 minutes. Uh, Leroy Sane adding another one with about 15 minutes to go. But so Germany did have 29 to... shots on target, Bob. Uh, sorry, did, Des. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they only scored two. Of course, of course, you, you want to 
what a what a moment for those Liechtenstein players. It's not. I keep saying football is not just for the big boys. Football is for the chance to the little fellas to actually go and say, hey, I played against Germany. We competed with them. Uh, we were run them by Timo Werner. We played against Germany. What a what a terrific moment for Liechtenstein football. The place was jam packed. Half Germans, to be fair, but uh, the the crowd was 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 um, really uh, behind Liechtenstein for the most part. I just think it's great for football that you have these opportunities. Yes, you will get the odd 8-0, 9-0, 10-0, but you get that in um, uh, in all sports. Um, and I think it would be unfair on the likes of Liechtenstein and Bulgaria to be forced into a qualification route. Uh, not um, Bulgaria, Des. Uh, I didn't, no, I didn't Bulgaria, suggest... World 75. So where's the line, Bob? Where's your line? About, well, like the Nations League... Uh, I would say about 180 or 200. You're only talking about half a dozen uh, places. They're not even proper countries. We all know who they are. <laughs> I mean, San Marino, <laughs> San Marino is part of Italy. You know, it's a town in Italy. I mean, it isn't really a country. That's FIFA have right? just created these these places for for votes. We all know what it's about. <laughs> we should get JDT to represent Malaysia. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they almost right. do with the number of players, national yeah. players they've got. That's another story. All right, <laughs> let's wrap up with Group B. And incidentally, Germany play Armenia in a top of the table clash in Group J. Sunday night, Monday morning, Iceland against North Macedonia, Romania against Liechtenstein. Before we go on, I need to mention that our winner of the first manager of the month. Amoy Lyles of Lemoy Lemons League. What a name. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> you are our August Manager of the Month. We need you, Amoy, to get in touch, direct message us, either through our Facebook page or through our Instagram account, and uh, tell us your name, address, contact number, and shirt size. And my-soccer.com are going to supply you with a special jersey that we have prepared. All right, Amoy, get in touch. All right, let's wrap up looking at Spain. Spain lost to Sweden 2-1 in a World Cup qualifier in Group B. That's La Roja's 66-game run brought to an end. Um, first defeat since 1993, Bob Holmes. What's happening with Spain and Luis Enrique? Uh, yes, um, a bit of a, a bit of a shock, possibly uh, a bit of a hangover from the Euros again. Uh, but uh, they shouldn't have taken uh, Sweden lightly, should they? I yeah. mean, Sweden, Sweden are the, the most consistent team. Not very exciting, but always hard to beat, always hard to grind down. And we thought that Spain um, were were likely winners of the Euros, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, they had that I that epic, so. <laughs> um, epic game against Italy, which, you know, many people feel Spain really deserved to win. I mean, they were that good. So this is a this is a bit of a shock. And Spain have got work to do now. Um, Sweden are top of the group, so uh, they, you know, they. They didn't expect this as a as a post uh, Euro situation. I mean, this is the World Cup after all. I mean, I'm I'm sure they get through even if they have to go to a playoff. But I think they could have done without the anxiety. And uh, I I didn't see the team that um, Luis team. Enrique actually picked. Strong team, but yeah. strong team, strong, strong team, team, yeah. 
So yeah, yeah can't be accused of. No. Good. You can't be accused <laughs> of taking it lightly then. But anyway, it's it's good that this is happening because it livens up these qualifiers because they are for the most part rather tedious, aren't they? So to get a shot like this, I think it's um, it's good. It's good for the game. But but you're not finding the radio shows tedious, are you, people? No, you're not. <laughs> In unison, Malaysia is shouting. All right, let's let's wrap up with a look at Romelu Lukaku. He has hit 66 goals now for Belgium. Craig Marias, uh, Belgium won five two at Estonia. They're going. They're the world ranked number one team, of course. They're they're top three points clear of the Czech Republic. I mean, Lukaku, Belgium, they're going to have to win something on the international stage very soon, don't you think? Very, very soon. And I think um, when you talk about golden generations and, and things like that, um, the next World Cup next year, um, I think it's possibly their last last chance. I mean, you think about it, De Bruyne is 30, probably 31 by the time he goes into the uh, to, to Qatar. Uh, Lukaku will be about 30, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um yeah, they, I mean, they've got some good young players coming through. They, you know, they've always got talent. But, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Kevin De Bruyne, who, I mean, I think we can all agree is, is one of the best players in the world that we've seen over the last, you know, five years. Um, Lukaku, still one of the best strikers around in the world. Um, they have to win something. They, they, there's no two ways about it. You know, uh, Hazard yeah, is probably on the way down a little bit. Um, but can I see them do it? I don't think so. I think their best chance um, at it was two years ago. Um, was it two years? Yeah, three years ago, sorry. Um, in, in 2018 uh, at the World Cup. That was their best chance. They got to the, to the semifinals and, and you know, didn't get it over the line. And, and, and you know, I think that was a time when you talk about peaks, um, you know, Lukaku was right up there. Hazard was still up there. Um, De Bruyne, that, that squad for me was just the one. And everyone was at the right age where they could really have a go when they just failed to do it. And, um, you know, uh, it's sad. It's sad. It's sad to see um, that, that, you know, some of these guys will not probably fulfill what they were meant to achieve. But I mean, we've seen it before, you know, we've seen it with England time and time again. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that the, the best period has, has gone. All right. Belgium take on the Czech Republic Sunday night, Monday morning, 2.45 a.m. Also in the group, Wales are away at Belarus. Wales have three points after two matches and are in third place. All right. That's it. That's all the time we have uh, on these World Cup qualifiers. I know you've had too much fun. You want us to carry on. Sadly, I have to say bye to Bob Holmes. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody, and enjoy the football. See you, Craig Marias. See you later. Thanks. Enjoy the weekend and the football. And Des Corkill, as usual. So much fun. Hey, later, congratulations to Johor Dal Taksim for winning the Malaysia Super League. There's a Malaysia Super League this week, uh, Tringanu versus JDT. And uh, where is Selangor? Selangor are at Sabah this week. So there's a full round of fixtures this week and next. Follow BFM Football on Facebook and catch On the Ball next Friday on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.